Real compassion includes wisdom, and so it makes judgments of care and concern. It says some things are good and some things are bad, and I will choose to act only on those things that are informed by wisdom and care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is your host, Josh Summers, and that passage, that excerpt, came from Ken Wilber in his journals, One Taste. And it's a theme that I explore in today's talk. I am continuing a series of talks right now on a really a, a meditative approach to metta and karuna, or another way of saying that is a meditative approach to developing loving kindness or friendliness towards oneself and to experience and to others. And then from that goodwill of kindness, developing compassion, um, the, the, the kind of the energy to relieve suffering. That's what really what compassion gets at is, is to uh, mitigate, it's an animated energy to relieve or mitigate suffering for oneself or for others or for a situation. So this talk is, again, a part of a series of talks on how to work with difficult energy in meditation. This could be difficult feelings, difficult emotions, difficult uh, members of your inner cabinet. Um, and the, the approach I'm trying to offer is a, is a kind of a, an evolution or a development of a very f uh, familiar formula of practice known as RAIN. And again, this, this is a, an approach that Michelle McDonald, the teacher Michelle McDonald, uh, developed uh, where each letter of RAIN stands for a different facet of the process. The traditional formulation or the typical formulation is that R stands for recognition. Uh, A stands for acknowledging and accepting of what's occurring. I stands for kind of in investigation. Uh, and N stands for non-identification or nourishment of an energy. Uh, my adaptation is to consider the R more like receptivity, and I gave a talk last week about that. Um, this week, I look at the A of RAIN as compassionate alignment, and I explore, I have to, to get into that, I have to explain what compassion really involves, which is where that Ken Wilber quote comes from. And from there, I look at how in our practice we can align with our experience, align with the parts of ourselves to listen fully so that we can set the stage for really understanding these energies more deeply. And it's through the wisdom of understanding that real compassion, the ability to make qualitative distinctions comes about so that we can mitigate suffering. So that's today's talk. If you um, would like to support the podcast or if you would like just support in your own practice, my partner Terry and I offer four weekly classes in Qigong, Yin Yoga, and meditation. And you can attend those classes either live over Zoom at their scheduled times, or you could avail yourself of those classes and many more classes and many more workshops and tutorials and kind of uh, instructional videos on how to practice in our library. Um, and you can get access to all of that by joining our practice community called the Riverbird Sangha, which is a community, a virtual community of practitioners and united by what we call one practice, many forms. One practice of awakening the heart, mind, many forms that we draw on include qigong, yin yoga, and yin meditation, of which this talk is a is a reflection on that, that approach to meditative practice. So if you'd like to join, please do. It really helps support the show, supports the work we do, and it supports um, 
a, a broader conversation around these themes that help develop and refine all of our practice. So check out that in the show notes. It's You can head over to joshsummers.net forward slash sangha, um, and there's a link for you again in the show notes there. Okay, so I, before I give you the talk, I just also want to say that this is Monday, March 14th. I try not to say dates too much, um, but uh, I just checked the headlines and I saw that Russia and Ukraine are going into talks after a very bloody weekend. And um, I just hold the intention and, and, and prayer really for, uh, a, for a peace to prevail. Um, it's just utterly heart-wrenching to watch and observe and pay attention to what's going on right now. And I know so many of you are affected by this in near and distant ways. And I just want to acknowledge everyone's quivering, trembling heart in the face of this crisis right now. Take good care of yourself. Keep practicing. And without further ado, here's today's talk, Compassionate Alignment. Okay, welcome back. Good to see you all. Um, so for this evening, for the talk, what I'd like to do is... Um, just continue on with the series of reflections that I'm starting around, um, you could say, how to work with challenging energy or difficult energy that comes up in the practice. Because uh, on one level, we began the year um, from a, a perspective of Vipassana meditation to see things clearly. And part of that, the theming around Vipassana was experiencing the stillness of awareness or stillness of the context of our experience um, that's holding whatever content may be coming and going within it. And that stillness is often referred to as samadhi in much of the, the meditative literature. Um, and it's in some ways a precondition for higher stages or higher developments of wisdom. So when we become quieter, um, we just are much better able to reflect on what's happening, to see it more clearly. We kind of get the the the, the luminous, reflective, mirror-like quality of water. Um, but in the process of becoming quieter, uh, in the process of becoming more still, um, it's inevitable, I think, uh, and it's almost kind of um, to be expected, that people, when they practice this, start to encounter challenging energies within them that resist or obstruct or struggle with coming to a sense of stillness. Um, and so to explore this theme of working with, say, particularly a challenging energy or difficult energy, um, I'm borrowing a, an acronym that is widely used already in the meditative literature, the mindfulness literature. Um, and that acronym is RAIN. So RAIN is a formulation that Michelle McDonald began with, um, and Tara Brock and Jack Cornfield have kind of picked it up, and many other contemporary mindfulness teachers use it frequently. And RAIN, um, each letter stands for a part of the suggested way of working with challenging energy. R, to first recognize it. Um, a, accept and allow it. I, to investigate it and N to usually either 
not identify with it or nourish it in some in way that's wholesome. And um, as much as I find that formulation very helpful, and I know it's helped thousands of practitioners over the years, um, I'm going to complement that formulation of RAIN with another formulation that I'm going to be sharing and offering um, that I'm calling Compassionate RAIN. And so the idea is that we will develop compassionate receptivity, which I spoke about last week, compassionate uh, alignment, which I'm going to speak about this week. What does compassionate alignment mean? And this week I'll also be introducing the idea of compassionate inquiry, where we open up a a, a line of dialogue with the energy or part of us or um, dynamic that's challenging. And next week, I'll continue on with this kind of series and look at the final N of the acronym. Um, and I'm using the word compassionate negotiation for the final step. Because the idea is that um, we want to collaboratively negotiate ultimately through through a sense of um, connection and understanding on what's, what's difficult about the energy or what the energy needs or what the energy seeks. But from that understanding, start to collaborate with that energy to renegotiate its role and um, functionality within our life and our being. And, and, and so that's the basic premise, that, that all parts of us, all energies are allowed and to be, are welcome and to be included, but we want to have a wise framework, if you will, for how to integrate, ground, and nourish this energy. <clears throat> so... Um, you know, I said last week that the idea of compassionate receptivity is to establish a kind of mindset or a heart set, if you will, or a, 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 just a, a, an approach to being with your experience that seeks to relieve suffering. And that, you know, that's born of a, of a traditional definition of compassion. Compassion literally means to seek to mitigate, to relieve, to alleviate suffering of any form. And it, it can be can be applied uh, intrapersonally towards yourself, you know, relieving suffering in yourself, but also ultimately it leads to seeking to relieve suffering with others <clears throat> and within the world. Um, and I kind of try to summarize that intention of compassionate receptivity with a modified form of loving kindness meditation. So just to review, last week's kind of practice theme was that. From a, from, a, from a beginning or initial intention to be open and receptive to what arises while you're practicing, to listen closely to what comes and goes within your practice, at times, if and when challenging dynamics, parts of you have something to say, if there's, if there's agitation of some form, that that's a time to kind of home in on that energy, home in on that energetic, that part of you, and to... Uh, really set the intention to create the conditions so that that part feels safe or this energy feels safe, so that that part feels heard or this energy feels heard and that it uh, um, feels like it's, it's being invited to integrate and that, that an invitation to integration will be coming more in a subsequent week. But we're just sort of getting familiar with the, the, the idea of welcoming and listening to these, these dynamics when they emerge. So this week, I want to kind of emphasize the A of the acronym of Compassionate RAIN. 
Um, and, and this is compassionate alignment. So if you think about alignment for a moment, if you think about alignment, um, the, I think the most common way many of you may be thinking about it is, is an association with physical alignment in a posture. And as I, I've said previously, but it's, it's worth repeating, I think, um, there's, there's kind of two broad camps of how to align the body in a posture. And the old common way, I guess you say it's, a, it's more, really a modern phenomenon, but you know, old in the sense of the last three or four decades is that most yoga teachers try to assess the safety and the appropriateness and the, and the, the, the wisdom of a pose's expression by how the pose looks. So there's a presumption that if, they, if the pose looks correct, if the knee is over the heel, if the thighs are parallel, if the shin is perpendicular to something, if the elbows are straight, then the, um, the pose is presumed to be aligned safely and correctly. Now the dirty f secret there is that, uh, as Paul Greeley and others have, have really laid out, everybody's skeletons are different. There's, there's tremendous variety between our bodies, particularly at the skeletal level, and then there's variety between our sides at the skeletal level. And because of that variation, there's, it's impossible for one form or one alignment of the pose to work well for everybody. So in the yin yoga community, we really speak to the importance of customizing the pose, knowing the intention, and then allowing your alignment to flow from that intention so that you're aligning your body to achieve the intentionality of the pose. Physically speaking, you know, if we could, if we made it very simple, where in the body, what tissue, where, what, what's, what zone of tissue in the body are you trying to stress? And then what kinds of actions can you employ to achieve the intended stress in that tissue? So that's both in terms of where the body gets placed and then also to what degree or what range of motion do you enter the pose to achieve the appropriate stress. Now I know many of you are coming from a yin yoga background, which is why I'm using this kind of physical side or the physical uh, parallel side to this process. What I want to suggest though is that while you are physically playing your edge and while you're physically aligning your body, um, you're really you need to utilize certain mental capacities uh, to, to achieve that. And one of the capacities is the one that we've been emphasizing really since the beginning of the year, which is close listening. Your mind has to pay attention closely with care, listening to the sensations. Are the sensations in the right place or in the inappropriate place? Are they at the right level of sensation or are they, or are they too much or too little? So that close listening, maybe one way to say it is that close listening allows you to make more compassionate decisions about how you stay in relationship to the experience of the pose. And to make compassionate decisions, and this is where I'm going to open up for a second and, and kind of lay out something that may be a little bit... Um, confrontational in a way, <laughs> which is that to, to make wise decisions, you as the practitioner need to make qualitative distinct distinctions about what is a better 
alignment, what's a better range of motion for your body in that particular moment. Qualitative distinctions need to be made. Is it too much sensation? Is it too little sensation? Is it in the wrong angle? Is it at the, <clears throat> is it at the right angle? You have, to, you have to make qualitative distinctions. Which means, uh, because it's, it's really through making qualitative distinctions that you will be able to achieve the intention of the pose most directly. And which is, a, you could say, is an act of compassion. When we stress the tissues, we're trying to maintain the health of the tissue. That's releasing the, su or preventing the suffering of degeneration. I'm really trying to spell, like, flesh this one out. Um, or, you know, if the tissues are inflamed, stressing them, subjecting them to a mild, moderate uh, tension or compression for a while will help de decrease the inflammation in the tissue. So there's a way that the tissue receives, a, there's a benefit that accrues to the tissue or a benefit that comes to the tissue as a result of the stress. Even though the sensations might be slightly or maybe not, more than slightly outside of your comfort zone for a while. And that's, that's the edge we learn to play at in yin yoga. But we learn to tolerate the slight discomforts, the slight bitter achiness, the agitation in our mind and heart, because we know what it leads to. So there's a way that our wisdom um, allows us to forego the short-term pleasure of abandoning the pose to, to, to secure or to promote the, the long-term benefit of the, uh, the health that comes to the tissue and the way we just feel as a response of coming, doing the pose and the practice that way. But the point I'm leading up to is that compassion, real compassion, requires judgment. Real compassion requires judgment. And in spiritual culture, um, for many years now, I would say probably at least as long as I've been around in, on the scene for so 20, 20 plus years, there's a, uh, a very strong cultural um, kind of, I don't know what to call, how to call it, like purging of judgment. That there's a way that being judgmental or experiencing yourself having judgments is often internalized as a mistake of, of, of not being compassionate because the judgment seems to be um, contrary to the, to the intentions of compassion. So I want to just speak about this for a little bit. I want to share a few reflections from an author that um, has, I think, illuminated this issue for me and helped me work through the kind of the... the uh, the potential thicket of confusion that can arise when we try to be non-judgmental. So this author's name is Ken Wilbur, and he is a, a very um, influential American philosopher who has tried to weave together virtually every form of knowledge <laughs> that humanity's ever created. So he's really tried to, to flesh out a theory of everything, and a theory of, of knowledge from all domains including Western science and particularly Eastern mysticism. And he's a very highly uh, practiced um, and trained contemplative and has also written just a huge number of books on integral theory, which he's sort of been the, the uh, 
you could say, the, 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 the grandfather of the integral theory movement. Um, my own therapist and teacher, Jack Engler, from several years ago, co-wrote a book with Ken um, early on called Transformations of Consciousness. And so Ken, Ken's been someone that's on my, been on my radar for a long time. Um, I first read him when I was in India, actually, and I found I was in a bookstore um, in Pune, and I was in the kind of the new age spiritual section, and I saw this the bald head <laughs> with with like penetrating a penetrating uh, set of eyes looking out from the cover. That's Ken, and <clears throat> at the time I was rapidly losing my own hair in the need of a bald role model. <laughs> So I, I just snatched up the book thinking it would, it would, it would help my, uh, my bruising ego. Um, but it turned out, you know, I discovered that uh, here was a thinker with tremendous capacity for synthesis. Tremendous capacity for synthesis. And um, I'll get into it another time, but I felt like he, in some ways, helped cure a kind of uh, intellectual hangover that I had from undergraduate studies. Um, Anyway, he says this about real compassion. This is Wilbur. Ken Wilbur says, Real compassion includes wisdom, and so it makes judgments of care and concern. Makes judgments about care and concern. And that's really, you know, at the heart of playing the edge or aligning yourself in a physical pose. It says some things are good, Gentle, mild, moderate stress is good. Some things are bad. Aggressive, painful, you know, ice-picky sensation on the physical level, that's not good. And then based on that some things are good, some things are bad, I will choose to act only on those things that are informed by wisdom and care. But in a dialogue, uh, and this, this section that I'm reading was published in um, Ken's published journals called One Taste, if you're interested. He had a dialogue with a student, and the student shared that they were discussing this integral view that Ken has sort of pioneered with other students. There's, so there's a sort of a spiritual dialogue amongst students and friends. And some of them said that because I was making judgments, I was showing a real lack of compassion. So the student, that's what the student is reporting, that because I was making judgments in my conversation with other students, they said my judgments indicated were symptomatic of the fact that I wasn't compassionate. This is the student's words. And Ken responds, he says, yes, there's probably more confusion about this issue than any other in spiritual circles. So this is, this is actually something that's on the back burner of my mind to, to bring forward in the Sangha discussions, because... This, is, this can be very, um, this can operate, uh, this sort of prohibition against judgment can operate in very subtle ways that create, I think, unnecessary suffering, unnecessary tension, unnecessary conflict and confusion. So Ken's saying this is, a, this is an issue that's really common in spiritual circles. And he says, basically, most of the trouble comes from confusing compassion with idiot compassion. And idiot compassion is, a, is, these are two terms, like real compassion and idiot compassion. These are terms that Chogram Trungpa or Trungpa Rinpoche used um, for this crucial distinction. 
And Ken says, in this country, particularly the United States, um, and especially in this, now he's reading, writing 20 years ago, but especially in New Age circles, there's a type of tepid egalitarianism and political correctness that says no view is really any better than any other view. That no view is really any better than any other view. And therefore, all views are to be cherished equally as a sign of rich diversity. If we don't make any judgments about better or worse, Ken's kind of taking the view of the non-judgmental camp. So the camp is saying, if we don't make any judgments about better or worse, then we are showing real compassion. So we have this, this, this binary between judgmental versus compassionate. If you're judgmental, you're not compassionate. And that's the common understanding. Now he goes on, but I'll kind of summarize his point because it's I, some, one that I, I think is really important. That that view that, that non-judging is better than judging, or that non-ranking is better than ranking, or non-hierarchy is better than hierarchy, that view is itself, um, it contains a kind of contradiction, a performative contradiction. It says non-judging, like to say non-judging is better than judging is itself a judgment. So, you know, to try to summarize all this, I always come back to this like Zen story that I share a lot, which is, you know, the student comes to the Zen master and asks, what's the most important thing? And the Zen master says, the most important thing is wisdom. And the student says, well, how do you get wisdom? And the Zen master says, you get wisdom from good judgment, good judgment. And then the student says, well, how do you get good judgment? And the, student, and the, te- the Zen master then says, from bad judgment. So the learning process is one of making qualitative distinctions about what, I would say, what leads to less suffering, more compassion, more understanding, more wisdom. And so this is why, you know, all, this is where it can get kind of confusing, that all experience is allowed in meditation. In, particularly in the style of meditation, that there's, there's no judgment about what comes up. Because on one level, on the absolute level, we are learning to rest into the kind of the absolute mirror-like level of the mind that receives judging and non-judging with equal receptivity. That's the absolute level. We're, we're learning to, in a way, we're waking up to that. We're in a process of waking up to that dimension of consciousness. The choiceless awareness dimension of consciousness is like a clear, empty mirror holding evenly everything that arises within it. That's the absolute side. The relative side is how, we, how, how our personality, our individuality, um, lives from that awakening. How, that, how our personality and, 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 and individual self integrates or wakes into the world from that understanding around what the, what the absolute consciousness is like. And that involved, that integration, that waking into the world involves making qualitative distinctions about what supports compassion, what supports 
the release of suffering, what supports safety, peace, and, and makes decisions about what things continue to fuel it, what, what things uh, inflame and cause acrimony. <clears throat> so I wanted to put that in there tonight, that little kind of mini reflection about what compassion really is. Is in contrast to say something like idiot compassion, so that um, we can begin to work, I think, on a more refined level with these energies that need a more discernment, that these energies that need more wisdom of, of compassion. So, if you th- if you move now from the idea of playing the physical edge and coming to a physical alignment and a pose and think about uh, transposing the same process to working with mental experience or emotional experience. You could say the meditative alignment, the meditative playing the edge, which we talk about in this approach, uh, pivots on the intention to relieve suffering. Like that's that's the, centra, the central theme of, of Buddhism. Like the view of Buddhism is looking at the world with the intention to mitigate suffering wherever it, it can, wherever you can. And the way we mitigate suffering is through clarity and skillful relationship. Those two uh, co- uh, go together, the, the two wings of the, of the process. So I want to speak about what the meditative alignment or what compassionate alignment looks like when we work with our heart and mind and, and kind of the psycho-spiritual qualities or sp- psycho-spiritual aspects of our, of, our, of our experience and our practice. The first intention, I would say, and I'm going to give three, is that the first intention is to listen openly. And that's what we've been talking a lot about this year, just developing a practice of listening with inclusivity to what's occurring so that we're taking in more and more of our experience. And I just want to add tonight that I would say um, this listening is the kind of listening that maybe an artist would bring to their observation, whether they're a writer, a poet, a painter, a musician. An artist um, really takes in the subtle, granular details of what's occurring, and 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 sort of just take drinks it all in to see what raw material will be um, be be able to be fashioned into the, the, their particular art. And there's a quote that I came across um, by an author named Ryan Holiday, who's who's speaking to this. He says. We want to learn to see the world like an artist. And, and this dovetails many of the, the, the artistic meditative contemplations I've been encouraging you to play with from time to time. Um, we want to see the world like an artist. While other people are oblivious to what surrounds them, the artist really sees their mind fully engaged and notices the way a bird flies or the way a stranger holds their fork or a mother looks at her child. So this, this sort of open, reflective, receptive, curious interest in all manner of experience 
is the artist's eye. And I'm, I want to suggest that that's sort of the, the opening intention that we, we bring into this meditative alignment in this process. And second, dovetailing that, is the invitation that all parts of us, all you know, whether you want to use the idea of subpersonalities, all parts of us or all energy within us, that our, our energy is harnessed, gathered together in service of that listening. And that's, um, in a way, when we, when we are able to do that, when we're able to gather our energy in service of listening, that brings us to samadhi. That brings us to stillness, which is a unified, gathered uh, collectedness of our energy, all brought to bear on the present or brought to bear on being really engaged and connected to just what's occurring. So the mind isn't scattered in samadhi. And there's tremendous wisdom that comes in samadhi, clarity of perception, but also tremendous peace that comes from that because it's within samadhi that usually the, the, the more absolute reflectiveness of the mind is, is recognized in samadhi, which is why, again, samadhi plays such a critical role in the path or a func- has a p- critical function in the path. So we want to get all of our energy on board. This is, this is the, where I'm trying to move the conversation tonight. We're trying to get all of our energy on board together in this broader alignment around the intention to listen deeply. But, as I've been trying to say from t- in different ways, when we do that, when we, when we operate on that intention, we inevitably conf- confront the parts of us, the energies of us, that... Um, are concerned or agitated or anxious or fearful or uh, just overwhelmed or confused. And learning to skillfully, wisely, and compassionately work with these energies goes a tremendous, it does a tremendous amount of, the um, word keeps coming to me as work, but it, it goes, it does a tremendous amount of of laying a foundation so that this, this stillness of samadhi uh, can come more readily. Because rather than getting into an inner, inner conflict with these energies, which is usually what it does occur, people get into fights with them, there's, a, there's an inner part war, um, and these, these resistant parts in the process can really dig in their heels. So if, what I want to say is when you, when you, are practicing, and if and when challenging energy arises, what I'm trying to walk you through is, a, is, a, is an approach to working with that energy, but it doesn't necessarily mean that your practice tonight or tomorrow or three days from now will, will use any of this approach. There's specifics that I want to share that can be you know, helpful tools and tips for dealing with this energy when it arises, um, but in some ways I'm hoping that the, the general reflections on these dynamics will also kind of operate in the background while you're practicing. I mean, they, they sort of, they, they operate in the background and, and gently inform how you approach and look into what might be occurring. So, um, last week, you know, I, I, we set the intention that these, that these energies, if they arise, 
can be received and made to feel safe. Uh, the conditions can be established so that these energies can be heard, these parts can be heard, and that we can begin the integration process with them. Tonight, I just want to build on that. And so this is the how to fine-tune the alignment, if you will. How to fine-tune alignment in working with this energy. Uh, I sent out a blog in the newsletter. I linked to a blog in the newsletter last week around uh, how to work with internal parts um, as a general approach. And one of the things that I mentioned in that blog is that um, it's very important if a part is asking to be heard, if there's an energy in us that's, that's needing to be heard, it's very important and helpful to, to conduct that dialogue by first asking all other parts to listen, like to, to explicitly hold a meeting and ask other parts to listen. In other words, um, say part A is coming forward and asking for some attention. And, you st and if you don't ask all the other parts to get quiet first, you can start to dialogue with part A and they can say, well, I'm really anxious about you know, that sensation in your hip and the fact that you, you're kind of ignoring it. And if you stay there, you might get some arthritis in the hip and then you, know, you might need a hip surgery later on. And then yeah, I don't know if your insurance is going to cover that. And you know, your uncle Fred had that hit, and then he had to have the second one done before he even got out of the hospital, and that could be, you know, <laughs> so the, the mind starts to spin. And then while that part is speaking, other parts can say, ah, oh, yeah, you know, but it's, you're, 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 you're such a whinger. You're always whinging about this, and, you know, it's, it's just a minor sensation. You don't have any pain when you get up and move, and it's not a big deal. And so then, basically, you can create a pig pile with other parts jumping in if you haven't established a clear channel with the part that you're trying to engage with. So this is something that I, um, that's, that my own early therapist, Jack Engler, really emphasized when we did part work together. He would say, make sure you, know, you, you get all the other parts to collaborate with you, core self, to listen with you as you dialogue with, with, with this particular part. So um, you can corral your parts however you'd like, but I encourage you to be gentle and compassionate around that. Um, which is not to be non-judgmental again, because you're, you're asking them to be quiet so that you and, and this other part can, can really dialogue well. But once, the, if you, once you get their kind of um, commitment and, and, and willingness to listen, you can also say and reassure them that if any of them have things to share with you after your dialogue with this particular part that you want to speak to, that you'll come back and check in with them. So it's, you know, it's, you're sort of just managing the room and saying, you guys are going to be quiet for now. I'll come back to you and see if you have anything to say, any thoughts and feelings you want to share. But for now, please just listen. And that usually sets the stage so that you can then engage directly with this particular energy or part of you that, that, is, that is agitated. And I'll be getting into more specifics around... Um, you know, questions we can ask in terms of a dialogue discussion with these parts. But for tonight, I want to just try to keep it simple. And A, just first, if you do encounter a part seeking attention, you know, if you're feeling agitated, you're feeling confused, you're feeling like your practice is going nowhere, <laughs> which it is in some ways. But, you know, if if you think, if you feel like 
there's just a problem with you and your practice. Like you're out of, you're not in a state of flow with it. You're not settling in and just flowing with the, the ebb and flow of your experience. But there's, 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 there's an issue somewhere. Then I really do recommend, you know, trying to facilitate a dialogue and really hearing what, what is going on for this part of you. So the intention, again, speaking from the intention around, so that, that informs what we do. The intention is to, for you, core self, to hear what the, how this part is seeing its role, how this part is seeing the world, what this part is concerned about. You're just there to hear it for now. We'll, re, we'll nego- renegotiate its role later. But for now, the intention is just, in this week, I would say, just to get familiar with inquiring into, you know, how does this part see the world? How does this part see you? How does, what is this part concerned and worked up about? And that, I would say, is an activity of cognitive empathy. So cognitive empathy, to distinguish it from emotional empathy, emotional empathy is where we, we feel what another person's feeling. We really start to feel it ourselves. Cognitive empathy, um, which my friend Bob Wright speaks a lot about, is the ability to imagine how another person sees the, sees the world. And in terms of world peace, uh, if there's one quality Bob Wright feels would, the world would be well to be more endowed in, it's cognitive empathy. To be able to see how another actor, another a- agent, another person sees the world... And from understanding how they see it, that then gives you a much more, uh, you know, well-rounded data set, if you will, in terms of how you're going to engage. Um, And down the road, I'm going to extrapolate from this process in terms of how I might offer lessons for collective peace, world peace, if you will. Um, I think the dynamic is the same through listening, through co- the development of cognitive empathy, and then through you know, goodwill negotiation within ourselves, we can really facilitate greater peace. And the more we get a feel for it, and this is the very the, the Taoist sense of things, the more we get a feel for what supports inner peace and tranquility within, we are better able to actualize and, and manifest those dynamics with others and through dialogue, conversation, um, and engagement. Maybe not so much on social media, but face-to-face or over the phone or over Zoom, we can, we can, we can start to have um, more in, uh, enriching and productive conversations. And I know for myself... Um, learning from Bob about the importance of cognitive empathy, this has been a huge thing for me to, to, to try to practice it, to, to spend time in dialogue. When, whoever I'm talking to, it happens to be Terry more than often, more than not. But with Terry, you know, or anybody that I'm connecting with, to try to first, before I start to say much of my own opinion about something, to really make sure I understand how they are seeing the issue. And I say that, you know, as someone... You know, that often occurs in situations where I have a high regard for the person that I'm trying to have a conversation with, or I love them or care for them. But I'd say it equally applies to people you might consider your enemy. If you want to have the best strategy for working with an enemy, 
you want to have the best ability to imagine how they are seeing the world and how they are going to strategize and act. So um, that's, those are my suggestions for tonight. That you know, we'll, we'll continue on with a very soft, relaxed practice of open listening. And we're just giving a little bit more, um, you know, we're, our ears are present for, or lifted for when there's agitation, when there's distress, when there's uh, shame or guilt or regret or anything that kind of brings you into a contracted and um, isolated state. In my yin class last week, I said, what we're really doing is we're melting ice with compassionate rain. And ice is an, I'm, I'm going acronym crazy here, but ice is isolated, contracted energy. And when we bring awareness to ice, or when the light of our awareness rests on ice, it starts to soften it and melt it. This is a metaphor that Charlotte Joko Beck has used that I, I, I draw on for in many different ways. But our practice is, is taking the parts of us that are frozen or hardened in, in frozen patterns and slowly softening them through the light of awareness, through compassionate rain of receptivity, alignment, inquiry, and negotiation, transforming that ice into a more flowing, harmonized, integrated energy within us. So it's all part, it, becomes, it joins us in the process of waking up. It joins us in the process of deepening our wisdom. It joins us in the process of expanding our heart's compassion rather than obstructing that process. What I'm really, in, in many ways, continuing to do, like something I did last year, which is reflect on the hindrances. So if you were around the beginning of last year, I, I went through a long stretch, many months of looking at the hindrances. This is now, rather than looking at specific challenging energies, I'm trying to offer a meta framework based on internal family systems and mindfulness uh, approaches to soften these energies in a skillful way. And the caveat here too, I should say, is that you know, if you work with this and it, you try it a bit on your own and it's, it's, you are getting flooded or you're getting overwhelmed, this is where you, know, you might need the third party assistance of a therapist, something I found very helpful from time to time to, to just have a, a third party walk me through the steps. But a lot of this can, once you get the feel for it, I think a lot of this can be done individually on your own, um, d depending on how intense it is. That's where playing your edge is really important. So just like there's a physical edge of like the temperature that's okay to work with, if psycho-emotional content gets really, really intense, you'll need to back off, redirect your attention, open your eyes, um, and, and, and then re-explore or re-enter the dynamic when you feel like you have the wherewithal. The last thing I want to say is this, what I'm trying to share here is really also a response to a question that came up a few weeks back. Um, I was giving a talk about how at some stages of practice there's a, a sense of just profound surrendering and letting go. And the, a question came in, well, what's the relationship between surrendering and playing the edge? And playing the edge is what you'll do, I think, when there's energy that's challenging. When there's, no, when there's energy that's not challenging, when you're in more of a flow state, 
or flowing along and comfortable, that's where you practice letting go. You practice relinquishing egoic control, relaxing, as I was trying to say in that talk, relax or, or settle into the listener, the listening that's occurring, rather than trying to be the listener of what's happening. Just settle into the listening. And while settling into that, that will often uh, stir up the habituated parts of ourselves that try to keep us safe and on target and on point with controlling things. <laughs> so it's, the practice will you know, bring out these energies that, that resist a kind of radical surrender to the moment. And, and that's where um, this framework, I'm hoping, will be helpful in, in, in working with those energies as they arise. But um, again, with everything I share, the intention is to be creative with it. The intention is to, for you to play with it, to try it out, to, to adapt it, um, and see how it might work for you. Okay, I hope uh, some of the reflections in today's talk were helpful to you, um, and I hope they kind of support your ability to both receive the inner energies that are difficult, if, if and when they arise, in service of transforming, integrating, and nourishing that energy, which is also then in service of a broader development of recognition or recognizing a deeper stillness that's always present. And that deeper stillness, that inner silence that we discover when our parts and energies quiet down is available every moment of every day. So it, that inner stillness becomes the basis of the everyday sublime. So I wish you all the best in your practice. Stay safe out there. Keep practicing. I look forward to seeing you in the ep next episode. And may peace prevail. Much love to everyone.